Hey everyone, welcome to Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast meant to strengthen our personal connections with Jesus Christ, as well as deepen our appreciation for His role in our Heavenly Father's universal plan of salvation. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is here with me. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into uh, let's get into this week's scripture block. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's another week, and we're doing what chapters? Matthew 21 to 23, Mark 11, Luke 19 to 20, and John 12. That's what I was going to say. He just says it better. <laughs> um, and as usual, we'll probably get two of those chapters. That's right. Or we'll hit like a couple that. of them. And <laughs> a couple highlights. There's a bunch here, and this is one of those weeks where there's all kinds of topics that you can hit on. There's not really one particular thread. So... Uh, as a teacher or as a as as a dad, one of the things uh, I would I just sit I just open up the Come Follow Me manual and just scroll and take a look at the topics that are hit and see which topics fit your need. Like I think when I first started teaching seminary, there was this huge pressure to get through the whole block coverage and you yeah and you've got to cover it all and and there's this huge pressure and one of the things that I've talked to guys since as the seminaries have shifted and gone to this come follow me approach like that burden of getting through the getting the entire block covered is is kind of gone and I think as a family there's nothing wrong with saying you know what, we're gonna hit Matthew 23 and we're gonna leave everything else or we're gonna hit 22 or you know there's nothing wrong with hitting one chapter and hitting it really hard over the course of a week and and then moving on uh, it I had a, a couple of really good mentors that pointed out to me that this year is not the only year you're going to cover the New Testament. Yeah. You'll come back and cover it. And so that you shouldn't feel like you have to to give everything in the New Testament to your students or to your family this year. They're, we're going to come back to this every four years. Mm-hmm. And, so, and another thing, too, is what a blessing to have an emphasis throughout a whole week that you mm-hmm. could take this whole story. And then the next day, you don't even have to. I mean, you can tie in the context of it and the flow of chronology and stuff like that. But you don't have to get into the, okay, and, and we got to do all of this in one sitting. It's like, no, do a couple minutes each day with your family and sit down and cover part of the story. And that's okay. Move on to the next one the next yep. day. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, where do you want to start? Triumphal entry. Okay. So uh, Ma- Matthew 21. And uh, uh, I really like the next part of it, so the day two, but this was uh, um, because of general conference partly, but I've done it for the past few years as well, uh, just on my own. There was an, uh, an added emphasis about studying the scriptures and certain stories of, of Christ's ministry during Easter week and Holy Week and on Easter Sunday and all of those things. And so this is some stuff that many people may have gone back and um, – read recently, just within the last month or so, last mm-hmm. six weeks. And so uh, as part of that, some of these stories might be uh, kind of fresh for us. And so I think that could be a, a something to also say, we've just covered this, so let's move on to a different thing as a family or yep. with a class or something like yeah, that. Yeah, great point. Uh, but uh, in uh, it, once the story gets going, they, Jesus rides in and um, as he rides in, he gives the, the disciples the commandment, okay, go get the, the colt and an ass and, and bring him here. And the Joseph Smith translation makes it line up with the other gospels where they just bring one animal. Jesus doesn't riding two animals into Jerusalem. There's no need for that. <laughs> but um, a bunch of years ago, uh, in uh, it was 2010, it was in the summer, and this just is maybe a stupid thing for most people, but um, LeBron James left Cleveland, the Cavaliers, the first time. 
Um, yep. And it was it was a big thing on ESPN. It was called The Decision, and yep. it was broadcast, and and it was a big deal. And um, a, a long time ago in my seminary classes, and, and I've showed it since then, uh, they did a big press conference with those three, with Le, LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and, and Chris Bosh. And they, like, introduced them in fireworks and singing and celebrities and at South Beach, Miami. And it was, like, a huge deal, uh, the entrance. And they called them in the thing. The reason that I got this, the whole clip, was they called them the Three Kings of Miami. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was this, this big deal. And that's when LeBron infamously said, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven championships. And they ended up winning two. Yeah. And he played there four years. Uh, but they went to four finals. Um, but what I did was I took that clip, and you can pull up clips of that on YouTube, and it's you could get like three minutes of that. And then right after that, I played the church's one-minute clip of the Savior's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And I just asked the question, what, what differences do you see between these kings? And there was just a very peaceful, like, it was noisy and loud, and like I said, lights and fireworks in this big show. And then the, that little, like, one-minute clip is like people like waving the palm fronds and very like Hosanna and like very peaceful and very calming. And you could just tell the difference between those two things. And it was, I, I love that the first thing that they say, so they're waving the palm branches uh, and strawing them in the way they throw down their clothes. This is like an ancient red carpet mm-hmm. that they're throwing down saying like, he, he is, he's higher than the ground. Jesus doesn't belong here on earth with us because he is our king. And in 9, it says, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. And Hosanna, you can read in the Bible dictionary, means save now or bring us deliverance. And um, they're calling out for the Savior to save them. And one of the questions I would just ask my class or studying this on my own is, what are some things that Jesus has saved me from? And uh, I, I think we have a first initial reaction of, well, he saves me from sin and he saves me from death. And you could ask follow-up questions to that. How does that make you feel? Or why does that bring you peace? Um, but also, what are some other things that he, he saves you from? And, and for me, just one I've been thinking about lately is he, sh- he saves me from short-sightedness. That things that happen in my life, it, it, they just go into perspective when it comes to Jesus Christ. Because of his life and, and what he's about to do, he understands that this isn't the end. If this was the last week of most people's lives, they party, they go skydiving, mm-hmm. they go visit a bunch of places, they eat a bunch of food, like yeah. they go do all of those things. But Jesus is all about, well, how can I help people? This is the most important week of his life right here. Yep. I, one of the things that I've always been captured by, like I, I, this thought, just it just I find it fascinating that on Sunday, this first day of the week, we've got people shouting Hosanna and and proclaiming it. Verse 10, who is this? In verse 11, the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. They, they've, this is a group of people who have embraced him for who he is. At the end of this week, you're going to have another group of people who are going to be shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And I think in a world like... Our, the, the students we're teaching, whether that's our kids, whether that's a, a young adult class, or whether that's a gospel doctrine class, we, this is a political environment that we're familiar with. And it would be interesting to have a conversation with a class and say, in what ways, you know, what, what are the Jesus topics of our day? What are the topics that have the church and, and, the world, are, you know, wherever you live, split politically. What, what are those topics? 
and what are the reasons that they're split and, and to have a conversation about why is it that some people have gotten, uh, why is it that some people have reached the point of accepting him as the prophet? And I find it fascinating. It's not Jesus, a prophet. This is the prophet. And, and so why, why is some of the community, why has some of the community come to a conclusion that he's the prophet and other people have come to the conclusion that he's a charlatan? And, and you've, you've, we have those topics today where we are so widely split and people have come to such drastic, such drastically different conclusions. And the reality is that's not a new, I, I find that with my younger students, they almost think that this is a new thing that to have a society split on something is, is totally new. Um, and, and it's not, this is something it's very common. And, and so to have the, the conversation about why did some people come to one conclusion and other people come to a different conclusion? And what are you doing on, on the topic that's most important on this topic of Jesus? What are you doing so that you end up in the right crowd? Which crowd would you end up in right now? And, and, and why, uh, but it, I, I'm really, really fascinated with this split within the within the within the groups, within the different within the cultures and within the people uh, at Jerusalem uh, during this this big Passover week. And I've often wondered too that how did the multitude change? It seems like the bigger group by by Friday wanted to crucify him. Mm-hmm. How do you go from that from Sunday to Friday and just people are fickle? Yeah, and we're definitely crowd followers and I've wondered if it's the same group or if because it's Passover week you just have so many people that are here that you have enough to have great multitudes on both sides Mm -hmm. but it does seem that there are very few people you know on the road to Emmaus and Jesus like hey why are you guys so sad you from a different planet (laughs) you've been under a rock (laughs) everyone in Jerusalem knows about the issues surrounding Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. And so that's, you know, everyone knows it. And, and in a Passover week when everybody's coming to Jerusalem, especially on fr- on the Thursday or Friday before, you'd have so many people there that um, I've, I've often wondered and I've heard speculation that, that some of that crowd could have been paid off and, and purchased by the, by the Sanhedrin to get them there and to kind of ensure that Barabbas was chosen rather than than Jesus, um, and I'm I I don't know enough. I'm not a historian, and I don't know I don't know that even the historians have an answer to that. But it does seem fascinating this this split and, and the fact that as people we fall on both sides of issues, and that's not that's not anything new. Yeah, and and, and as the week goes, just the next story, and and uh, then I'll let you pick some that you want, but in. In 12, so this is the second day, so this is now going to be Monday. Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And uh, this is one of the stories that is probably almost always brought up when it comes to, like, Jesus got mad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And I just realized that this last time, um, there's no emotion attached to it in the verses. Mm. It doesn't say, and Jesus was angry and lost cast them out and lost his temper. Mm-hmm. That's what we interject. Like, this is the only time that he would, <laughs> he would do this is if he got angry. And I, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. And, um, 
a, a few years ago, I was teaching this in seminary, and and uh, and I asked him like, okay, what are le- you already know this about Jesus? And I had him at the beginning of class list some things. What do you know about him? He's loving. He's merciful. He's patient. He's kind. All of those things. Then we read the story, and I said, so what did you learn about Jesus? And they were kind of like, it's this uncomfortable <laughs> moment when they're like, he gets mad. And I'm like, well, it doesn't say that in there. He doesn't say he yeah. got mad. Look at the text. Yeah, and, and I'm like, and don't get me wrong, there is righteous indignation that Jesus has, and that that, that the Lord has had in the Old Testament and everything else, but. I said, what, what are you learning about, about him? And a couple kids shared, and um, I had a young man in my class named Dominic. He's like, you probably already know this, but I, I just learned that when Jesus gets angry, it cleanses me. Oh, that's a cool And I was like, it. yeah, I totally knew that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like writing it down in my scriptures, and I'm just kidding. I was, like, I was like, Dominic, that is profound, brother. I'm like, what that's a, a, cool, what a thought. cool thought. When Jesus gets angry, it cleanses me. Um, and, and so for me, I just slowed down a little bit, like, don't lose the context of what you already know about Jesus. This isn't a different Jesus. This is the same one, mm-hmm. but, but what are you learning about that? And it cleanses me. And then I, I, because of that comment, I sat down, I was like, okay, if I really had to write this out, what's something else? I wrote this one down. Christ heals me after he helps remove the wickedness from my life. That all, as soon as he, Verse yeah, because of 14, yep. that, and that's exactly right, that he cleanses it. And now all these other people who may not have been welcomed there, or there was not space for them, they felt welcomed. And Jesus says, I'm healing you here. Hmm. And so in my life, if, if, are there barriers or things that are keeping me from being cleansed by the savior? I need to remove those things. or I need to ask his help to remove those things so that I can really allow him into my temple and cleanse me. And and that would be something I would do, like, just slow down. What are you learning about Jesus in this little story here? And those are two, two little lessons I love. One of the things, one of the things I was, if, especially with my seminary class, if I was teaching, if I've got a group of 15, 16, 17 year olds, I would just add, what is something that you love so much that if you saw someone disrespecting it, you'd lose your temper? Now, I, again, I, I don't, I'm with you. I don't know that this is an example of Jesus losing his temper. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not. I, um, I, I think... I think this is a, a controlled meekness. <laughs> yeah, I think this yeah. is a point of this is a point in Jesus's life where there's something going on and you've crossed the line, and I simply can't tolerate it anymore. There's this, you know, that that idea that uh, that that really interesting balance. And as we talked about the great two commandments later on in Matthew 22, in the next chapter, um, I love the quote from President Oaks where he says, "Yeah, of course Jesus said love everyone." But the second commandment can never come in front of the first commandment, which is to love God. And so in this place, um, Jesus, is, Jesus is keeping the first commandment, loving God. And, and so what are the things in your, in your life that you love the most? And what do you learn about how Jesus feels about the temple? Take a look at some of the things that he says in verse 13. Um, you know, why is, it that he's, why is it that this is the line that they've crossed that now I'm going to... I'm going to invite you to leave the temple. You, you've, you've crossed the line, and now I can no longer tolerate your behavior, tolerate you being here. We have to remove you. And I just think that for some, in today's world where toleration is shouted from every housetop, we need to understand what, that, that even with toleration, there's a line that you, where, where you've got to draw it and say, from this point forward, we, I, I, can't, I can't allow this to continue. And what is it about what's going on here? Because the Savior's sitting down and eating dinner with sinners, and, and, and he's not kicking them out of the house, which ironically is what the Pharisees would have had him do. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but he doesn't do that there. But then he gets to the temple, and now all of a sudden something's going on, and the Savior is not going to... He, He's, he's not going to allow it to continue. He's going to stop it in the moment. Uh, there's a great story of Boyd K. Packer coming home. And his, it, one of his sons was out in the front with some of his, kids, some of his friends. And, and I, can't, I don't remember the details. But his son did or said something. He said something inappropriate. And rather than in the moment correcting his son in front of his wife, Waited, took him around the side, and, and his son talked about this, this was that was a learning moment for me. I, I realized that my dad could have corrected me in front of my my friends and didn't. And I pictured there, I, I imagine there are a lot of individual moments in the Savior's life that didn't get recorded where he's correcting with love and and compassion and tenderness, but not here. And I would ask why. I, I think you need to talk about what what is it about the temple that gets Jesus. Or that, that, what is it about the temple or how Jesus feels about the temple that makes it so he can't tolerate these kinds of things? Verse 20, verse 12, money changers, those that sell doves, um, those that sold and bought in the temple. What's going on and why is this across the line? And then just an invitation to say, all right, what lines do you need to draw in your life? Are there behaviors that your friends might engage in? That are kind of that have crossed the line where you either have to remove yourself or invite them to leave, and to be clear on those behaviors right now. What are the behaviors on a date that are like a, an eject button essentially? What are the things that you can't tolerate? That that if it were to happen, the date would be over immediately. There are some things that are awkward. He tried to put his arm around me, or, <laughs> um, and I, I don't. Chase doesn't have any way to watch this, and so I don't know why he's getting big. So my daughter and, and my son, Chase and Maddie, went to prom together. And bless the girl's heart that went with my 15, my 16-year-old son, who just turned 16 like two weeks earlier, three weeks earlier. Um, or I guess longer than that. But this is it's like his second date. And they're walking out of the house, and my daughter's there to tell me the story. And... and there's, there's just, you know, the girl that's with him goes to put her arm in his, and he doesn't, and he kind of shakes it loose, and then, <laughs> no. that poor girl, like I, it, what, there are awkward moments like that. My wife still tells the story of being on a date and having a guy put his arm around her, and, and her le- leaning forward, and and then leaning back, and doing all these. <laughs> okay, those are things that we can handle, and, and sometimes our friends, especially our non-Latter-day Saint friends, they're going to have different standards, and so there are some things that we're going to take with a grain of salt, and we're just going to move on. But I, th- I do think we need to be clear. Like There are certain behaviors that are just simply not acceptable because of the first commandment that we love God. And if I were, a, and as a parent, we should be having those conversations with our kids. Like, at what moment in a date do you say, oh, this is over, I'm out? Mm-hmm. And how do you get out of it? I, I think that's one of the lessons from Jesus in the temple, that we don't have to accept inappropriate behavior. We can either remove ourselves or we can remove the party uh, responsible for the behavior. And and what are the things that, as you mentioned, that are so important and so sacred to us in our lives that mm-hmm. we have to maybe go above and beyond what we normally would do? And, and keep in mind, this is Passover week. Yep. People have traveled there. This is a holy moment. This is a holy place that all of them are trying to have a deep connection with God. Yeah. And I think it's Talmadge and, and, and it's also in... Uh, 
um, Elder McConkie, they talk about them, what the money changers are doing, and it's essentially they're scamming people on um, the exchange rate and all that stuff about uh, as all these people from outlying communities have to only use temple currency to buy stuff, they have to then go in and flip their currency and they're getting they're getting beat on both ends of it. And so he's saying like, that's not appropriate. And, and just one other quick little thought is, I, I just stumbled on this by reading all the accounts together, which is kind of a cool thing. In 13, it says, and said unto them, but in Mark 11:17 it says, and Jesus taught them. And I love just that word distinction. Like he's not just saying it. In Mark, he emphasizes the idea that Jesus is teaching them still. He's teaching the people who are there. He's teaching the people we probably just kicked out. He's helping he teach all of us that this is what you need to understand about the temple. This is a teaching moment mm -hmm. to bring back to Elder yep. Packer. And I think you, there's a great connection between what's going on here with the Sanhedrin and the ones that are behind the, the exchange rates. And, um, and I go back to Eli's sons in the Old Testament. And because of what Eli's sons, and the angel comes to Eli and says, look, you better fix this. Because my people, you know, the angel speaking as though he's Jehovah. My people hate, they detest the temple because of what your sons are doing. Yeah. And I can imagine being somebody who's poor and I've saved up everything I get, but I live too far away to bring my own lamb. So I show up and then I get ripped off at the temple of all the places. That's the mm -hmm. one place I should never get ripped off. Yeah. And of course, and so I, one of the things that I, I think creates one of those boundaries, especially for the Savior, is when my behavior impedes someone else's spiritual journey and, and their connection with the father. I, I think that's one of those things that I, as, as a, as an individual with my friends, that's, I, I need to be aware of that line and it needs to be really clear. Absolutely. So, Great. um, Where do you Matthew want to 22, next? okay, just turn the page Do it or swipe the screen. <laughs> swipe. Uh, we went over this in my seminary class yesterday and I, as I watched this, I, I love the fact that Jesus is the master teacher, he's the master philosopher, he's the master, he just, he is, he is perfection embodied, right? And so fully aware, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come, uh, they get together. Uh, one of them, uh, after, after Jesus has kind of quieted the Sadducees in verse 34, verse 35, one of the Pharisees shows up and he's a lawyer and asks him a question tempting him. And, he, and the question is, which is the great commandment? And one of the, so I, I had my students, I had them do a couple of things. First, we, I did a race to see how many of them could list the Ten Commandments. And then they got bonus points for having it in order. Um, and they all got stuck on like eight. There was like, so, Thou shalt not steal. There were always two of them they couldn't get. <laughs> Covet was one that they just couldn't quite, that was, that was always off the list. <laughs> but then I said, all right, pick the most important one. And somebody would say something, and, it, and thou shalt not kill was always, that was always mentioned. <laughs> and so I would say something like, oh, so it's okay if I, it, don't kill, but it's okay then if I commit adultery, as long as I don't, like, that's the most important one. No, 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 it's not okay to commit adultery. Or somebody would say, don't commit adultery, and I'd say, oh, it's okay to kill, kill? them. Like, right. So it's okay to kill my spouse as long as I don't cheat on her. And, and I would just, I would get them so frustrated. And then we would talk about, you know, what is it when, when it says they're tempting him? What are they trying to do? They're trying to get him to pick a favorite because once you pick a favorite, then I can, I can pit certain, I, I can use certain tactics on you or I can pit certain groups of people against you. Um, and they're just trying to get him to say anything that will discredit him in front of the people. 
And then, and so then verse 37, his response, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Uh, and the second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. Uh, once we, we talked about this, I, I asked my students uh, at, the, at the Highland Seminary, I just said, what, who is it? Who is this at the high school? Who do you know? That, who, who, because of what you see them do, who is it that loves the Lord their God in your grade, that loves the Lord with all of his heart, might, mind, and strength? And it's fascinating. I've done this. I've done that a couple of times. And it's interesting how many times people name the same person. Like they're all like, or one person will say a name and then everybody else will be like, oh yeah. Totally. And that happened yesterday or Tuesday at Highland. Um, a young man was named and I said, well, why? How do you know he loves God? And they started listing off all of these things. Wow. Because he's, he's super kind to everyone around him. He's happy. He's, he says hi to people. Uh, he's not just nice to the popular kids. He goes, and four of the five things they named all dealt with how this young man treated other people. And so then we made, we, we went to the next one, verse 39. The second is like unto it. And we just said, how is, how are these two commandments related and they instantly saw that I, the easiest way to demonstrate our love for God, along with keeping the commandments, the easiest way to keep, show love for God is to love his kids. You, you demonstrate your love for God by the way you treat those around you. And th so these two commandments are interrelated. And of course, we went, the next verse 40 says, on these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. And you can take the Ten Commandments and you can break them up into love the Lord your God show, yeah. yep, and, and, and love, love your fellow, uh, or love your neighbor as yourself. But I just, that, that was for, especially some of my ninth graders, it was kind of, it was fun to see their eyes kind of go, oh, yeah, that's true. And, and so we said, well, what are the things you do? How do you show God? that you love him without loving your neighbor. You can't. There's, you can't show your love for God and mistreat your neighbor at the same time. Those two things are totally incompatible. And we were talking just a little bit ago about cleansing the temple and about how Jesus showing his love for the Father cleanses the temple, then opens it up for other people to go there. What a connection to this as well, that because he loves God, it automatically is going to take care of the other part too of loving his neighbor. Yep. That just because you do one doesn't mean you can't do the other, that they are definitely going to connect there. And and you mentioned this idea of, of Jesus, uh, uh, well, them trying to trick Jesus. There's an earlier one too, where they ask him like, how do you get this authority to cleanse the temple? And he's like, well, you tell me about John. And they're like, oh, darn it. <laughs> and and uh, I, uh, just as a teaching idea, you know those, they're, they're kind of riddles where, uh, you know, how many birthdays does the average man have? One. One. Why can't a man living in North Carolina be buried west of the Mississippi? Because he's living. You can't bury living people. You know, just things like that where it's all, the whole thing is it's meant to be a trick yeah. question. That's what these are. And except they're above and beyond that where those trick questions have a right answer. These from the outside, you're like, well, if he says yes, he's in trouble. If he says no, he's in trouble. And these guys, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they're crafty. They are really yeah. trying to catch him. And when you dig into all of them, Jesus's uh, ability to answer the question perfectly, taking the coin, 
teaching uh, about the resurrection and, and just emphasizing, okay, what doctrine is Jesus really pointing out here? Why, what doctrine does this, or how does it relate to me? And what is most important? And what is he really emphasizing? That they've lost track of the minutia and the detail is that the Jewish people had 613 commandments or something like that. Pick your favorite one. You're like, that is minutia. Well, not as answer. Answer all of a sudden becomes a great way to live my life. And same thing with, do we give tribute to Caesar or no? Well, yes, no. Like, how do you really? Yeah. But the true answer is, well, give God that's which is God. And you're like, well, that's true. So what things in my life do I really need to give to God? And I just love how the Savior does that. And I especially love the next part. After they all ask him his questions, he's like, I got one for you. I got, yep. <laughs> and I love, I love that he does play. this. Yeah. In uh, 40, 42, he says, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. And then he explains why. Well, how can he be David's son then if David's really calling him Lord? And they're like, oh, I guess we're I wrong there. I don't, yeah. I don't know. But his first question is, What think ye of Christ? And uh, um, my mission president back in the day, um, he encouraged us to, um, he said, Every once in a while, use that as one of the questions when you talk to somebody in the street. Or when you knock on their door. If you try something else, and like, no, no, no. And he said, just stop and say, what do you think about Christ? And he said, and give them an opportunity to share their testimony of Christ and then let you share your testimony of Christ. And so he, he just had that, that question for us of, what do you think about Christ? And uh, I, I think that would be a great place to just spend some time in a class or in a family. Um, give everybody in a couple of sentences, what do you think about Christ? What does he mean to you? And you, you don't really have to get into the other part, whose son is he? I think most people that you're going to have this discussion with are going to give the same answer. But when you're getting to share your thoughts about Jesus Christ, that it's meaningful to share that personal relationship and, and who he really is as God's almighty son. And, and I think it's a, a, to use the Savior's questions is a powerful way to teach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you want to do Mary? John 12? Sure. Um, so six days before the Passover. I, so I was, I'll be really honest. I've read a lot as far as what day he was crucified on. And I've heard the explanation of it had to be Thursday because you got to have three full days or it could have been Friday. And, and I'm not sure. So six days before Passover... Passover starts Friday night at 6, if it's a normal Passover year. Mm-hmm. Um, as they get together where Lazarus had been dead, so they're up in Bethany, right? And she comes in. Uh, Lazarus is sitting at the table. Mary takes a pound of ointment and spikenard, very costly, and anointed his feet with Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Um, I, I'm not necessarily getting into Judas and his Greek. things, and I, I do love the fact that John does not hide his bias. John, More John's, writing this, <laughs> John's writing this maybe 60 years later, and he's still mad at Judas. Yeah, yes. And and every time Judas comes up in the book of John, there's some kind of little that who betrayed him. Yeah, there's <laughs> always some kind of a backstabbing. Yeah. But I just I I had a really fun conversation with my daughter. It was fun for me. It probably wasn't fun for her. Um, she brought up that she wanted to do something, and and my wife said, "Well, go." Go check the for strength of youth and study a couple of talks. Here's a couple of talks and and 
So, and my wife did it with this idea of, and then come back and let's have a conversation. Well, my daughter took it as, you go think about it and then do whatever you want. <laughs> so then my, my daughter announces that she's going to do this. And I'm like, whoa, I hadn't heard anything about it. I'm like, pump the brakes. So M- Maddie and I ended up with this awesome conversation about sacrifice and what it means and, and what the purpose of sacrifice. Um, and Mary's bringing this very expensive oil and pouring it on his feet and, and wiping her hair with it. And, um, I'm this idea of sacrifice uh, dating all the way back to, to Adam, Adam leaves the, the garden and the first day, aside from the commandments he received in the garden, one of the first religious practices is sacrifice. Meaning at the very root of religion is some sense of some sort of pain. Some sort of discomfort. It's some kind of, and and I think I, I feel like we've gotten away from this. I feel like sometimes we look to the church, and and too many of us see our membership in the church as a almost like a tax shelter from the eternal IRS. You know, that's yeah, convenient. It is, and and it's and it's a protection, and and it's meant to, and it certainly does that. I don't mean to suggest that it doesn't, but I I've watched individuals who, when life gets rocky. And the, and the shelter of the church doesn't keep them from getting pelted. There's this, this frustration with God, almost like God's not doing his part. And, I, and, I'm, and I felt this. There are times where I've thrown my hands up and been like, well, let me know when God gets off the back nine and maybe he can step in. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm guilty of doing that. Um, but when I've gotten there, usually when I get my head around, usually it takes a, ni- a night's sleep and, <laughs> and uh, you know, some time. But I'm brought back to this idea that at the root cause, at, at the root, religion is about sacrifice. It's not about what I get. Religion really is about what I give. Because my sacrifices are meant to be a symbol of Christ's great sacrifice. And this was the conversation that I had with my daughter who... Um, you know, just graduating from high school and, and trying to help her see that if you're not making sacrifices, you're not experiencing religion. You're not experiencing worship. Um, and, and what I love about what Mary's doing is this, this wouldn't have just been a sacrifice for her, but it would have been a sacrifice for Martha and for Lazarus and and, and yet, it's, it's interesting, it's Judas who gets upset. Um, and so, I, as, I, as I study this, one of the questions that I've asked myself in, in getting ready for this is, you know, what are my sacrifices? And do my sacrifices, do they warrant the symbolic connection that all religious sacrifice should have to the sacrifice of Christ? Certainly, in magnitude, I'll never do anything to that level. But if my sacrifices never hurt, then they're not sacrifices in the first place. And and if I'm using religion to avoid difficult times, what do I what do I do when my religion causes the difficult time? Whether that's financial because of a tithing requirement or a fast offering or um, a commitment to go serve a mission, what do I do when the when the religion, the thing I'm using, I'm utilizing, you know, religion, the church is the tool to help me get out of discomfort. How do I, how do I handle that paradox when it becomes the cause of it? It's like Isaac and Sarah, they've prayed and prayed and prayed for this son. 
And Abraham. now all of a sudden, Abraham. sorry, what did I say? Abraham. Abraham. Isaac, yeah. the son. Yeah. They prayed for Isaac. Yeah, yes. So Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, they pray for the son. And now all of a sudden the son comes. And now the very person, the very being that they prayed to, to bless them with the son is saying, I want you to give it up. Well, if the purpose of religion and the purpose of worshiping God is to avoid discomfort, uncomfortable situations, obviously that didn't work for Abraham. There's yeah. something else about it. There's something sacrifices is a big deal. And, and I, I just feel like at the end of the savior's life, here's this awesome example of a woman who obviously what she did, what she, what she gave up isn't anything. It's, it's not a drop in the bucket to what Jesus is about to sacrifice, but it mattered. And it, and it, it warrants that symbolic connection to Christ and what he's going to do in a couple of days. And, and just with that, that idea that, that sacrifice, it, it the Lord doesn't need this. Yeah. He doesn't need to be anointed. He's, he then teaches in, in verse 7, and this is what I think is, is powerful with this story. Then said Jesus, leave her alone. Against the day of my bearing has she done this, or essentially she's anointed me for my burial. And her sacrifice then is a symbol of his sacrifice. Yep. And the same thing with Adam and Eve leaving the Garden of Eden. Their sacrifice no, God doesn't need an extra lamb or a ram, but that sacrifice is connecting you to Jesus. You are now having a little bit of the feel of what the father has in giving up his son, but also of Jesus willingly giving up his life for the father. That that idea that this, the sacrifice ends up doing so much more for us than it really does for God. And yeah. therefore, in a kind of a weird, skewed way, Sacrifice is kind of selfish mm -hmm. because it's actually going to help us, though maybe not the same way that we anticipate. Mary lost money mm -hmm. in this. She gave up a very costly thing, and that's the one part of this that Judas is looking at. And Jesus, who is about to leave this earth, is thinking, why do you need money? Yeah. That if you're viewing this in the eternal scheme, she is becoming such a better disciple because she is really devoting herself. And to just connect that to one other little thought here in 12 and 25, it says... He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Well, if you connect that to this idea of sacrifice that we're talking about, saying that the blessing you're going to get is so much more than mm -hmm. what you're giving up here. Sacrifice makes us better people yep. because we truly are tapping into the power from heaven, and becoming like the Savior. Yep. Yeah, and I, I, I remember when the whistleblower down at the, with the the church's um, investment community community and or their, that that investment the Deseret whatever peak. investment group yeah Deseret, Deseret peak. peak Enzyme Peak Enzyme Peak maybe. Enzyme Peak Investment anyway I, there was just a lot of conversation about if the church has that much money why am I paying and. That's just the wrong mindset. I'm not paying. I'm not paying my tithing to finance the church. I'm paying my tithing because that's the that's the form of sacrifice that God has asked for in my in my dispensation. That's my lamb, mm -hmm. and um, and it was never meant to make financial sense, and it didn't come with a guarantee against bankruptcy or foreclosure or other financial difficulties. Uh, it's not about, it's really not even about the money. If, if we're not connecting to Christ through our, through our, through our sacrifices, that's our fault. <laughs> yeah. 
It's not because we didn't have the opportunity. Yeah. Love it. Well, it's a great place to end. Call it up there. Let's call it there. Okay. Thanks for joining us on Take a Second. We will see you next week. Enjoy these chapters. Well, thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that in this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and and in our own life experiences as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ and and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more that uh, maybe it might open up the scriptures a little bit to you so thanks again for joining us on take a second and we will see you in our next episode <laughs>